got AI Maya who helps us sell policies. So policies are sold in two or three minutes. And what's interesting is it's not a single approach to every customer. In many ways, it's a uniquely customized approach to every customer. There are tens of thousands of different pathways that each customer can take that adjust in real time based on their responses. So every customer is going to have a different set of responses and can take them down a different path. The ultimate goal is the same, understand their risk, price them appropriately, and ideally sell them a policy. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm speaking to Tim Bixby, CFO of the publicly listed insurance firm Lemonade. Welcome, Tim. How are things? Hayden, all good. Nice to see you. Thanks. Yeah, good to see you. Whereabouts are you based? So uh, you find me upstate New York. We're based typically in uh, Manhattan and Soho. Mm-hmm. So I kind of spend time between the two. And we're, we're actually all over the world from an insurance perspective. All of our customers are in the US, but we have uh, limited folks in Europe and Israel and Scottsdale and New York and all across the US. Yeah, great. I think I saw a bit of your lovely Soho offices when I was watching your Investor Day presentation from November last year. Yeah. <laughs> they look nice. A little bit nicer than the offices I find myself in, uh, based in London by Liverpool Street, if you know. So I thought we could kick off with essentially Lemonade's elevator pitch. Um, I'm keen to introduce Lemonade as a company to our listeners. So how, as you state on your website, does Lemonade reverse the traditional insurance model? Sure. Happy to, to kind of give the, the quick overview. So, so Lemonade provides personal insurance to consumers. So no business insurance, no commercial, but uh, personal insurance of all, all flavors. We're now a five-product company. We provide home, renter, pet, life, and car insurance. We started out very focused on the renter and home market, and now we've expanded to provide all of those coverage types. And that's not the interesting part, although it's a great product for our customers. Our approach has been to, as you said, really flip the model upside down. Our target customer is one who has traditionally found insurance to be complicated, jargon-filled, fairly unpleasant. And uh, really done in much the same way it's been done for decades, if not longer, by large incumbent insurers. And one of the things we've found is that by architecting our product with a a fully integrated data-driven substrate that we've built all on our own in the last several years, we can do a couple of things that are extraordinary. We can collapse costs. We can do a lot of things uh, much more efficiently, but also create extraordinary customer delight. And typically, those things have been at odds, but we're actually able to provide both of those. And the net result for our customer is an insurance policy can be bound in two or three or four minutes. A claim can be paid in many cases in real time, in seconds. And in cases where they're a little more complex and a human claims manager is involved, it might be 24 hours or 48 hours in in many cases. So tremendous speed and a digital substrate that enables us to do some things that that are quite extraordinary. Yeah, fascinating. There's a few points I want to dig into, particularly that model that informs how the business works. But uh, let's circle back and cover your career history, or at least a bit of your background, just to introduce you to the listeners as well. So uh, I read that you joined Lemonade in 2017, uh, having served as audit chair and board director of Runway since 2021. I think that'll be a company familiar with some of our listeners as well. Uh, And prior to Lemonade, I read that you served as CFO of Shutterstop from 2011 to 2015, and then CFO at LivePerson. So uh, I read that LivePerson are a provider of cloud mobile and online business managing solutions, and you were there from 99 to 2011. So I thought 
it would be interesting, firstly, to understand how do you approach financial management in the fast-paced, constantly evolving world of technology? I imagine you've had to adapt to some of the unique challenges that this space might throw up. Sure. So you kind of covered the covered the the data points there pretty well. But basically, I've been I've been fortunate enough to be in and around hyper growth businesses for more than twenty years, and primarily in the CFO role. And what I found is that in businesses at, at this stage, maybe starting uh, at twenty or thirty or forty employees, and then growing to hundreds, very little revenue, to growing to hundreds of millions or perhaps a billion or more of revenue, is a really interesting stage. For a small business, and particularly for financial operations in the CFO role, where you're really doing all sorts of different operational activities. In many cases, you become sort of the the junk drawer. Something that's not covered somewhere else in an obvious way, sales and marketing and tech, really ends up in the in this the CFO's office. And so I found that to be a just an extraordinary learning experience. The other thing I've seen, having done this for a while, is cycles. So the market goes through cycles. The investing world goes through cycles. In the last three or four years, I think it feels like we've seen 20 years of cycles in a, in a, in a much shorter period of time. And so one of the things that I think I've been able to bring to Lemonade and, and to those other companies is having seen a lot of these things before. Uh, so when a bank run happens or a market meltdown happens or a capital dries up, things that can really knock a, a successful growing business uh, a little bit sideways, I've seen a lot of these things before and hope I can bring some of that stability to the company. Now, on the other hand, I think one of the great things about Lemonade is we've all brought really fresh eyes to a, to a very traditional business that's been around for hundreds of years, arguably thousands of years. So my background before Lemonade was zero insurance. Uh, now, of course, we've got a, a number of folks on staff who are insurance experts with decades of experience. But I think being very focused on bringing those two types of folks together, those two very different backgrounds, has enabled us to really leverage the great things about insurance, leverage the data approach that we brought to it. When you think about it, the product itself is data. And couple that with people with deep uh, tech experience. And I think that that really manifests itself in the product that customers see. We keep all the complexity as much as possible to ourselves, you know, internally at the company, and provide that really simple, clean, fast, delightful experience to our customers. Yeah, fantastic. And I want to get into the macro kind of context and environment and how that's informing your financial outlook. Uh, but before we do, uh, you mentioned the technology powering your solution a moment ago. And I watched the company's Investor Day presentations. It was recorded in November last year. Uh, and your CEO, Daniel Schrieber, described Lemonade as an AI doing insurance. That's the way he kind of summed up Lemonade. He described AI as the foundation on which the company is built. And AI I guess you could argue, became mainstream with OpenAI's ChatGPT launch. Their tech was actually referenced in that presentation back in November as well. But have you considered at all how AI mania and the enthusiasm for this space at the moment is affecting Lemonade or might affect Lemonade in the future? So, I, you know, there's a tendency to think of AI as having sort of a light switch effect, like there was before AI and now we're after AI and... and yeah particularly the last six months have, have really changed how people think about it and, and act on it. But in some ways, Lemonade from day one has been thinking and planning and architecting for this phase that we're in now and the phase that is to come, which is to say, we're built on a fully integrated digital substrate to enable us to use whatever the most, most data-driven, efficient tools available are to bring the product to the customers. And so it's in some ways, it's hard to say where data and technology and algorithms end and AI and machine learning begin. Uh, and 
how we think about internally is, is much more of a continuum. The more that we can leverage data, and it might be slow moving, simpler data, like what's happening with our customers or what's happening with claims out in the market today, or it can be very complex, rapidly developing data like telematics for our car insurance product, or it can be data that we don't really even perfectly understand yet, like AI, where it's so far beyond what, it, what the human brain can understand, yet we've architected a system to be able to take advantage of those data points and flow that into our product, flow that into how we understand the risks of our customers. And again, that's the fundamental core of, of what insurance is, is how can you adapt to and ingest the most valuable tools, the most helpful data, and then translate that into the, the core of the product, which is how risky is this customer and how much do you want to charge them? And how can you create a, a profitable relationship with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good analogy with the light switch. It certainly doesn't pay to think of AI as something that was off previously and now on all of a sudden. But your CEO did describe or at least make an interesting comparison, I think, uh, to the advent of the new age in insurance with the scientific revolution of the 15 to 1600s. He he made the point that if insurance is fundamentally at its core, which I think actually you referenced a moment ago, the business of monetizing statistics and data, uh, today's AI revolution must mark a new inflection point, just as that scientific revolution did back in the 17th century. So I'm keen to understand, and I'm sure our listeners are as well, are we likely to see similar product offerings and Lemonade competitors launch in the near term as a result of that context? So I think there's a there's an inherent advantage that we have and others that might have similar traits have, which is uh, newness. So uh, one of the real challenges of traditional insurance companies is also one of their strengths, which is age. And what happens when you've been around for, for decades, if not centuries, which many incumbent insurers have been, you have the strengths of that. You have the, you have the brand, you have the balance sheet, you have the customer trust. But on the other hand, you can struggle a lot with the technology aspect and the data aspect. It's very common that systems are cobbled together over years or, or decades. And that really can impinge on the ability to take advantage of AI or, or more intense data availability. And so, yeah, I think in some ways it's easier or more attractive for a new newcomer to come to the market, but it's hard. Uh, yep. There's a reason there aren't 50 or 80 lemonades out in the world. It's capital intensive. We've, we've been very successful at raising capital to fund and, and build and grow the business. It takes you know, deep insurance expertise. And we've got some people on board that, that bring decades of experience. We've done that. You have to bring all those things together. And that's made it a market which is really attractive for us, which is, again, there's not dozens and dozens of folks doing this, but there's a handful, I think, who are doing well. From a product perspective, it feels like no one's ahead of us. From a mm -hmm. customer experience uh, standpoint, we're relatively small. And so we do have the challenges of, of scale. We're not yet profitable. And so our focus is really about how do we leverage these tools, whether it's AI or otherwise, build a customer base, get to scale, and, and get to profitability. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I think we can move on to that path to profitability now. But before we do, um, I just wanted to reference almost a message from your CEO, uh, again, in that Investor Day presentation, where he described the product as one centralized intelligence. So the same platform that sells policies also handles claims, it answers customer inquiries and identifies fraud as well. I was just keen to highlight that because obviously that is a big differentiator of your product versus even similar kind of insure tech solutions out there at the moment. So for a full understanding of the product, I just wanted to pass that on to the listeners. But 
you mentioned profitability. Again, in that presentation back in November, you outlined that path to profitability over the next five years, so to 2027, I believe. And I guess to provide that roadmap, you highlighted three key levers that the company can pull to achieve it, uh, which will help you determine whether you're successful. So first was growth, and that was measured by IFP. You had your loss ratio and multi-line customer rate as well. So I thought we could tackle each of those one by one. I think there'll be a few unfamiliar terms uh, for some listeners. So I thought we could better our understanding of those. So firstly, you're targeting a five-year IFP compound annual growth rate of 20%. Um, I think that was your base case anyway, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. So can you firstly explain what that is and how you got to that figure? Yeah. So one notable thing about our business is we grow at a pace of our own choosing. The market is so vast and our place in that market is still relatively small compared to the sheer scope of it. We have less than 2 million customers now starting from zero just a few years ago. It's quite extraordinary, but we could grow 10 times and 10 times again and still be a relatively small player in in the insurance market. Sure. Um, Our focus on growth is really to deploy capital, to spend cash, plainly speaking, in a way that enables us to grow and learn as quickly as we can, yet to moderate our burn rate such that we're not forced to go out into this market and raise more capital. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're essentially triangulating or we're sort of combining those factors to say uh, a, a 20 or so percent annual growth rate will get us to a point over the next few years where we're deploying capital efficiently. We're not spending so much that we're forced to go back to the market and increase our funding at a time when we think it's quite expensive. Yet on the other hand, from an insurance perspective, we're growing at a very healthy pace. 20% growth is very rapid growth in the insurance market generally. And so it's kind of a balancing of those two things. In the current market right now, we, we just put out our view of what uh, 2023 growth will look like. And we actually gave more moderate uh, growth rates, something around the, on the order of 12%. And again, that's really with a focus of growing cautiously in this, what we think is a really challenging market right now. When things change, we don't know when that is, but we know that will happen. But the timing, I think, is a little unpredictable. We, we'd love to get to the point relatively soon where we can turn that growth rate back up. Mm. And we believe, and we've shown it in the in the past several years, we can deploy more capital, acquire customers efficiently, and grow at a faster pace. And so we're balancing those two things right now. Yeah. Okay, sure. And we'll get on to fourth quarter earnings uh, in a second. But just to come back to that base case announced in the Investor Day presentation, uh, the next sort of key metric that you guys monitor is your gross loss ratio. Uh, a 70% gross loss ratio was targeted by 2027. So how do, how do you determine that loss ratio and why 70%? And obviously, if it's moved on and evolved since that number, then let us know. Sure. So loss ratio is is really the, the primary measure, uh, one of the key measures in the insurance business of the, of the health of your business. And it's very simply the dollars you pay out in claims divided by the premium you're collecting. And, and so the 70% you referenced is our target. It's a common range that's reasonable in in the insurance business. Our current loss ratio is higher than that. That's also true for other players right now. We're in a market where uh, inflation has shifted quite quickly and there's a bit of a lag effect. And so it's not unique to us that that our loss ratios are somewhat elevated. On the other hand, our loss ratio improvement has been quite significant. Mm. So if we look at Q3 to Q4, for example, there was a lot of activity in what's called cats, catastrophes, big storms that can impact the insurance business. Yeah, Q3 is, that's very typical. Q4 was a little atypical this year. 
But if you strip that out, our improvement sequentially was about nine points, nine percentage points in our loss ratio, which is quite a bit for one quarter sequentially. So we're tracking in the right direction. Loss ratio is one of those metrics where if it's too high, it's unhealthy for your business. It, it makes it hard to be profitable. But if it's too low, that's not necessarily good either. At some point, it becomes you're, you're kind of taking away value away from your customers. Yeah. So there's this, again, there's sort of a balance in this 70% range or somewhat better than 70% range is a is a healthy balance that we think is achievable. Uh, we won't achieve it tomorrow or next quarter, but over the coming quarters, we expect to be to to continue to head towards that target range. Uh, which I think you're aiming for 20% again by 2027. I believe you were at 3.7% at the time of the Investor Day presentation. So I imagine it's moved on a little bit since then. But firstly, can you just explain why that's important to Lemonade? Yeah. So a word about the metric multi-line customer rate. It's basically how many policies does each customer have? Mm. When you start a, an insurance business, it's common that a customer might start with one policy. Our average customer has 1.00 something policy. So we're still really relatively early in that pace, but it's something we're now tracking. Mm -hmm. We have our first state just last quarter, two states now with all of our products available. Mm -hmm. So uh, Illinois... Uh, is a good sort of a test case. And we shared some information about that in our, in our shareholder letter. But we expect to track towards market norms. And it's pretty common for more established insurance companies to have customers with two or three or more policies in place. And so that's when we're starting to track now. And being able to cross-sell from one policy to another is a very inexpensive way of, of growing the business versus going out and acquiring a, a whole, uh, an entirely new customer. And so now we have the opportunity to do that. And it's interesting because customers will, will enter with all different policies. Uh, they'll start as a renter and become a homeowner. They might start with pet insurance and then get a car policy. And so we now have four or five different ways that customers can start with us. And then we, we work to expand them. And hopefully before too long, this is a process that will take years, not months, we'll move to where the average customer will look more like the market, but two or, or three policies versus one. Got it. Okay. Well, um, let's move on to that announcement that, well, at least I saw as part of your fourth quarter earnings. You may have made it before, but uh, 2022, as you said, was the first full year with all five major products in market. So you had renters, homeowners, car, pet, and life. Firstly, are there, are there plans beyond those five major products or is that Lemonade's offering complete for the short to medium term? I would think in the short term, think of it as com as complete. In the long term, there's other, there's other products. Um, we we're able to serve the majority of the market. We're in the US today. Uh, we have a product in every state, but we don't have every product in every state yet. And we're mm -hmm. working yeah. towards that. And eventually we'll, we'll expect to have all products in all states. We're also in Europe, which is interesting. It's uncommon for an insurance provider to be in both uh, multi-continents. They tend to typically focus primarily on Europe, primarily on the US, primarily on Asia. Because of our cost structure, we, we've been able to establish a uh, sort of a beachhead in Europe, a very small presence, but in four different countries now, uh, including the UK, which is Europe, Europe-ish. And, and so the ability to launch new products is there. We kind of have our hands full. We've just done an acquisition recently of a car insurance product to really jumpstart that product. So in the short term, I would expect, uh, would not expect a bunch of new product launches, but over the medium term, there's a couple other niches that we think might be interesting. Yeah, great. Was that acquisition Metromile? It was. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was going to ask you a question about that. Uh, what specifically does that bring to Lemonade? So 
So Metro Mile was interesting, and we, we closed it um, back in July of 22, and it took some time to kind of work through the regulatory steps. But what Metro Mile brings is a, is a couple of things. One is it enables us to jumpstart the learning process for a new product. So each of our products up to that point, we've built and launched ourselves, and there's a there's sort of a learn a bake-in process, a learning process where you get more data and your algorithms start to work well and improve. And by acquiring MetroMile, we we were able to kind of skip over or jumpstart that process a fair bit. Uh, MetroMile was quite good at a telematics-based approach to car insurance, mm-hmm. which is basically a way to collect an extraordinary amount of driver data, of driver behavioral data, which enables you, which enables us to much more accurately price risk because you're basing it on actual driving behavior versus just how old's the car and how old's the driver and where do they live and those things. Those things are important, but they're much less important than the driving behavior of the individual. And so now we have this ability, uh, uh, I think MetroMile has captured billions of miles of data, which is now you know part of our sort of knowledge base. And our ability to kind of de-risk our launch of car was one of the, the big reasons we, we did that acquisition. We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions along with any other feedback in the review section. Now, back to the show. Uh, well, I want to jump back then to the fourth quarter earnings results. Your shareholder letter described how a lot of the heavy lifting around uh, or associated with the building of new products has been done, and that's behind the firm, as you mentioned. Uh, so your focus shifted to lowering the company's loss and expense ratios. So that gross loss ratio was 89% for the quarter, and that was down from 94% in the prior quarter and 96% year over year, I believe. Um, the letter also outlined how Lemonade pivoted your firepower away from that product development, as I said, to lowering those ratios. So I just wanted to understand kind of what that pivot looked like. How exactly did you do that and what proved to be the most significant factor in that shift? Yeah. So a couple of things kind of have come together over the past couple of years to have an impact on on loss ratio and some of the progress that you mentioned. So we saw historically was when we launched our renters product and our home product, the vast majority of the book was a renters policies. And so we were able to grow that product, expand the customer base dramatically, get that learning and get that experience. And what we saw was the loss ratio tracked as we hoped and as we expected. It started out, you know, three digits, came to 90, 80, 70. We actually reported several quarters in the 60s before we launched our significant uh, additional product lines. Mm-hmm. So we've we've been through this pattern before and we've shown our ability to optimize that. Then all of a sudden things changed. We began to launch new products. And those tend to, again, have higher loss ratios before you work to optimize them. And then we also saw a market, a bit of a market shock. Inflation went from not a thing to a a pretty dramatic thing. It affected all insurance lines for the most part to different degrees. And one of the challenges has been, again, because insurance is a regulated industry, you can't adjust prices quickly. That's good for consumers. It's a bit of a challenge for the providers. We're now at the point where we're starting to see the impact of increased rates. The regulators are approving those rates, but it takes some time to sort of work its way into the book of business. There's a time lag. And so what you're seeing in those sequential quarterly loss ratio numbers you you mentioned is that those changes starting to take hold. Mm-hmm. There's also a pent-up lag. So we've made a, a number of filings and rate increase requests over the past year. 
only a minority of those have started to earn their way into the book, and that'll continue into 2023 and going forward. And that's something we'll constantly be be working pretty actively on. So that that enables us to have some confidence and visibility into into an improving loss ratio. Now, loss ratio is not the the only piece of the the puzzle. There's the expense ratio, yep. and we might get into that a bit. And so that's an area where we're also seeing the benefits of our our tech platform in ways to optimize that. But those two kind of work work together. Yeah, I mean, let's get into that expense ratio now. So you mentioned the the kind of leveraging of the tech platform to to affect that. Talk us through that. Sure. So if you think of um, on the expense side, there's some interesting benefits. One, having a single system that does everything creates tremendous visibility. So everybody at Lemonade who needs to see and should see data across the entire business can see it in one, one system in real time. And so there's a real, we think of the data platform as the core of the business, not a thing that's outside or sort of bolted on onto the business. Mm. It's really the core of the business. So we've got a couple of tools, just to, maybe a couple of specific examples that I think kind of help might help to explain it. So one of our one of our tools that's built into that system is called Cooper. It's our own internal bot that helps us automate processes. So Cooper is this little, you know, it's a little avatar with a cute little face, but Cooper will show up in the morning and remind me to do something, remind me to send out a notice, remind me to do a performance review, remind me that something task oriented within the company. Cooper will show up in our tech team and help them push uh, new code out into the server structure to do a test. So things that are just basic things that we do every day that historically would just be um, something that a human wakes up and does, we can automate and push through our own internal bot called, called Cooper. We have a similar thing externally. We've got AI Maya who helps us sell policies. So policies are sold in two or three minutes. And what's interesting is it's not a single approach to every customer. In many ways, it's a uniquely customized approach to every customer. There are tens of thousands of different pathways that each customer can take that adjust in real time based on their responses. So every customer is going to have a different set of responses and can take them down a different path. The ultimate goal is the same, understand their risk, price them appropriately, and, and ideally sell them a, a policy. But all of those multiple pathways are, are a thing that we just take for granted that an incumbent might struggle to do in an agent-based approach or a, or a less data-driven or, or platform-driven approach. So these are the kinds of things you can do, again, when you have a single platform built just in the last few years that's designed to do exactly what we need to do. Yeah, got it. And you've touched on the benefit to the end consumer there. Kind of wanted to, to dig into that a little bit. Something that we haven't discussed as much is Kind of why an end consumer would go with Lemonade over one of these more traditional established insurance firms. Uh, we've talked about kind of efficiency, a more bespoke approach and policy as a result. I imagine there are cost savings there, but you can tell me whether that's the case. Um, but also the feeling that they're doing some good. I mean, I, I read about the social impact some of the revenue that they're contributing can have via Lemonade. So perhaps you can dig into that that latter point as well, because it's not one that we've covered so far. Sure. I, I would think of it as a one of the ways we've described it over time is, is sort of a combination of, of value and values. Mm-hmm. And many of our customers can skew a little younger, a little urban, a little more digitally savvy. You know, I, I used to say that five or six years ago, I think that's kind of all customers now, whether they're yeah. 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. I think, I think the world is just shifting in that direction. And so if you think of value, we're attractively priced. We don't lead with price anymore, but we're very attractively priced. 
particularly in renter's insurance, which is our largest by number, by quantity product uh, and by number of customers. But generally, we'll be very price competitive, but we're not a, um, we're not a discount provider. Yeah. So there's value in effective pricing. The value side of the equation is interesting. We actually have since day one what we call our charitable give back, mm-hmm. which is not a way to donate to charity, though it, it is actually that. It's actually something that we built into the business model that we think can leverage behavioral economics, leverage how people think about the world and their product and their vendors and their, their needs uh, in a way that is beneficial to us and to them. And the way it works is each customer that comes to Lemonade, we let them know we have a charitable give back. Please choose a charitable organization from our you know, list of kind of pre-vetted folks. And if your loss experience over the course of the year is positive, is good, some of that leftover money will go to that charity on your behalf. If your loss experience of your group uh, is not so good, they may not get anything. So there's sort of this variable aspect to it. And what we find is, is our customers tend to be thinking not so much about Lemonade and the, the big insurance company that they may not know so well, but they're thinking, oh, about the Red Cross or the animal shelter or their kid's school that is the charity that they've chosen. And it's, it's good from a, an emotional standpoint, but it's also good from a financial standpoint. If a customer, when they're filing a claim, is thinking, not how do I get more money from this insurance company, but I don't really want to take money away from this charity. I'm, I'm going to hopefully claim what's appropriate. And, and it, it changes the game to some extent of how people think about insurance and filing a claim and getting money back. And it's, it's really at the core of the, the financial strategy of the business, but also the customer promise strategy of the business. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we were able to cover that differentiator. Um, I mean, I imagine Lemonade success is, is partially testament to this, but that has proved a compelling sort of motivator then. People have given you that sort of qualitative feedback that that kind of social impact aspect means that their behavior is is altered in, in the way that you've described. I think so. It, it's it's a hard one to measure. Yeah, I can't quite point to a, you know a perfect metric or number to measure it. We hope over time we'll be able to measure it better, but we do know it has an impact. A majority of our customers cite it as one of the reasons that they come to Lemonade. Our annual give back is a once a year thing that's pretty dramatic, and we share it with our our customers and the and the charitable organizations that we work with. We've had actually people give us money back. We've had customers. After the fact, say, oh, I, I found the laptop that I thought was stolen. Here's a check for $1,000. Wow. And a key reason for that almost inevitably is the charities in their head. Mm. And that's unheard of. You know, we got lots of folks who've worked in insurance for a long time. And that's pretty uncommon practice that someone you know would give money back to an insurance company. It's happened uh, over and over and over again. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, well, let's return to your financial outlook, I suppose. Um, we, we haven't covered growth. I think in the fourth quarter, you saw 64% growth with IFP of $625 million. So that performance was, of course, recorded in that turbulent rate environment, if we can characterize it as such. And, and at a time in which I believe Lemonade filed eight times more rate changes with regulators compared to 2021. So pretty turbulent. I think that's fair. So perhaps you can reflect on how that macro context firstly affected Lemonade's ability to meet the targets that you set. Yeah. So from a growth perspective, again, because of our ability to invest growth dollars and acquire customers pretty efficiently, it hasn't had quite as much effect. And it's interesting if you look at a couple of these most turbulent periods, if you look at the onset of the pandemic, 
for example, mm. or you look at the onset of the, the major shift in inflation, invasion of Ukraine, like all these you know, shocks to the system, our ability to grow has really been much more driven by us and less so by the market. Mm-hmm. Now, the loss ratio and the profitability view of the business, I think is more impacted by those things, particularly inflation and our ability to adjust our prices. So that's, that's really where you tend to see that impact more. Going forward, you know, our assumption is you know, these one-off things will continue to happen. We're in a turbulent market. Part of the reason insurance companies exist is to protect people when bad things happen. And so it's kind of part of our DNA is to anticipate these things. And one of the things that gives us great comfort is we don't know when these shocks will come. We know they will come. We believe that those best able to adapt to them and react to them will be the most agile companies. And without question, when you're built in the way we're built with the tools that we can have at our disposal, our agility is second to none. We upload code 10 or 20 or 30 times a day that changes our product. Wow. Sometimes a customer can see that. Uh, oftentimes it's in the behind the scenes where it makes it a better experience, but the customer might not actually uh, see it overtly. That's very uncommon. And what that gives us is an agility to ingest data, think about it, take action in a very tight loop in a matter of hours or days or weeks. Most large insurance providers, that cycle can be weeks or months or years in many cases. And so that I think gives us some comfort that, you know, kind of back to your original question, our ability to think about both growth and profitability in these um, periods with somewhat unpredictable shocks to the system, knowing that we have that agility and ability to react quickly is, is what gives us great comfort. Yeah. Okay, great. Got it. Okay. Well, I want to finish then by asking essentially what's next. You know, we're, we're going to a new financial year. What's next for Lemonade in that period? And will the strategic focus still be to improve efficiencies and lower costs or will that pivot again? Sure. I think one of the unique things about Lemonade is if you look at our vision and customer promise and strategic view today and put it up against what it was seven years ago mm-hmm. when the company was founded, there the similarity is extraordinary. And that's very uncommon. Again, I've been doing this 20 plus years. It's very uncommon, particularly for younger businesses in the tech world or the financial world, that there aren't significant pivots along the way, changes and adaptations. And that that's a good thing or or can be a good thing. The Lemonade mission and vision is essentially unchanged. And that's testament to the fact that it was well thought through uh, at the start. There isn't one sort of silver bullet or one magic choice that we made. It's a combination of all these things. It's a combination of technology and algorithms and now AI and the give back and a technology viewpoint coupled with insurance, like all these things put together. We chose to be a multi-product company, not a single product company. A large number of the younger insurance companies in the last five or 10 years have taken the opposite path, Mm. chosen to be a one product company. It's not wrong, but it's proven to be a harder path in my view, in our view, than a multi-product company. We have more flexibility. We're able to approach the market with a customer viewpoint versus a single product viewpoint. And so in terms of what's next, it's kind of more of the same because the same is something that we've consistently espoused for a very long time. It's just now that we have the tools to really execute on it. It's just now that we have the fifth product just in the last year. It's just now that AI is really starting to flourish in ways that we. Uh, have been talking about and thinking about for a long time, but now seem to be becoming 
much closer to reality. It's just now that our LTV models, our lifetime value models, are going from kind of pretty good to really in-depth and accurate to help us parse and de-average our view of customers. And that's a, that's a really amazing goal and target we've been working for for a very long time. And so that's kind of where we are now. And now it's about that cross-sell, you know, multi-customer, multi-policy number that we talked about. How do we get as many of our customers from one policy to two or three over the next uh, coming quarters and coming years? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a follow-up question based on that then. Um, the more customers you get, the more data you have available. So is there that sort of self-perpetuating loop where actually the product evolves and potentially becomes superior the more customers you have in the product and with the company? Is that a fair way to characterize it? It is a fair way. And I, I think you know there's a couple of metaphors, whether it's a flywheel or whether it's mm-hmm. kind of a multiplier effect. It is that. And an example might be a given customer who has, say, a renter's policy. We know a lot about them because of the way we onboard them. Maybe they've had a claim. We know a lot about that customer. If that customer now uh, goes to acquire a pet policy, we already know a lot about them that impacts what their pet risk profile might look like, much more so than just someone off the street who acquires a pet policy. So there's this sort of interactive effect where we know so much more about customers and their behavior and, and what's important to them and how they, how they approach life, essentially, which is what helps you estimate what their risk might be. It's definitely a one plus one equals three dynamic where if you know a lot about a customer right here, it tells you much more about what they'll be as a driver or a pet owner or a homeowner someday. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And a, a nice message, I think, to end on. Uh, that just leads me to say thank you very much, Tim, for joining us on the Opto Sessions podcast. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Thanks so much. Pleasure here too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports, or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time. Co-fruition.